So what if you could sleep only six hours and get more rest than when you were sleeping eight hours? That's Matteo Francischetti, co-founder and CEO of Eight Sleep. And second, we want to save your life. What if your bed could scan your body in the future and going to bed was more valuable than going to your doctor for an MRI? I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Matteo Francischetti to discuss why mediocrity is the silent killer in any organization, how resource constraints can drive resourcefulness at higher output, and how to optimize your performance by leveraging the latest innovations in the science of sleep. One thing I always suggest to people to see if they are sleep deprived or they can get more out of their sleep is try to sleep one hour longer every day for a week. The mental benefit that you get in terms of freshness and sharpness by being at the peak of your mental performance because of sleep will let you gain way more time than one hour you invested in the sleep. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I have one small request. If you receive any value whatsoever from this podcast, please go ahead and give it a five-star review. This helps us reach more growth-minded leaders like yourself. All right, Mateo, welcome to the podcast. Dude, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. So I want to start off by saying, so we don't have any sponsors of the podcast. We don't have any ads or anything like that. I've had an eight sleep mattress now for years and there's no back-end commission here. I just, I absolutely love it. So I just want to lay that out right before we get into anything. Today, obviously you're the CEO of Eight Sleep, but to start, I really want to take it back to um, how your experiences early on, perhaps in your childhood, maybe even growing up in Italy, did that kind of shape or mold the leader you would become? Yeah, sure. And I mean, we could stop the podcast here. You you already pitched the product, you say the name. Okay, I'm, I'm done. Um, no, I'm just joking. Um, yeah, I'm Italian, as you can guess from my, my accent. I was born and raised there. I was an athlete when I was a teenager. I was doing a lot of sports, mainly tennis. So I have always been into recovery and sleep as an athlete. Uh, then I became a boring business lawyer and then finally an entrepreneur. And at that time, I started thinking why Elon Musk is taking me to Mars and I still spend a third of my life on a piece of dumb foam, right? And so I combined this passion for technology with uh, being an athlete when I was a teenager. And I say, look, there is a big opportunity here. So you had a former career as a lawyer. I believe your father was a lawyer. Did that kind of influence your decision to pursue that path? Yeah, I think at the time I was still... uh, probably naive and I was more focused on sport. And so it was just the most obvious direction for me to take. Then something I was lucky clicked during the first year of college. And that is when I transferred my focus and competitive attitude to study, graduate with honor, get into the big law firms. Uh, But until then I was just a lazy student. What was kind of that catalyst moment between like when you graduated from law school and you were working at a law firm to basically leaving all that to pursue a startup? 
I was working at this big law firm, one of the largest in, in the world and definitely in Europe. And it was 2008, so the market was lower because of the crisis. And I started getting bored. So myself and the guy who then became my co-founder, we started working at night on our side project that then became my first company. And so I was working at the law firm from like 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., you know, working super hard. And then at 10 p.m. I was meeting with my co-founder and we started the business. The business started making money and has been profitable for since day one. So we never raised money. And that is when I decided to leave uh, uh, the legal career. But as probably you have heard, my mom still tells her friends that I'm a lawyer, not that I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, as an immigrant myself, I, I understand that. So how did you come to the decision to create a product that focused on sleep? I mean, I know, as you mentioned, there wasn't really a whole lot of innovation in the category. I think up to that point, maybe the latest innovation was when, you know, the memory foam invented by NASA, like in 1960. But how did, how did you decide to focus on this industry? Yeah, so for a couple of years before I ate sleep, I was looking at the space. And the reason is I have always been obsessed with productivity and so I didn't understand why I had to sleep eight hours. And actually sometimes I sleep eight hours and I still feel terrible when I wake up in the morning. And so it's, it was really like, why there is technology in everything I do, but not in a third of my life. If I'm gonna live 100 years, 33 years of my life are probably gonna be spent on, on this piece of dumb foam. And so I started looking at clinical papers and see, okay, what technology could do to improve your sleep? And I found that there is a bunch of things that technology can do. The biggest is what is called thermoregulation. So your body temperature changes during the night. Technology can help your body to do that in a more efficient way. And this will help you fall asleep faster, get more deep sleep and less sleep interruptions. And so then we built it. What was your vision originally when you started Eight Sleep and how has that evolved over time? My vision, which is still the vision of the company is to control the whole environment. Temperature is just the first step temperature, light, noise, oxygen, air, and adjust each of them in real time based on your biometrics. Then on top of that, while we are tracking your biometrics, we substantially wanna become also a preventative health company where we can understand if there is anything going bad with your health. So at the end of the day, the way I always pitch the company is we wanna do two things. We wanna compress your sleep. So what if you could sleep only six hours and get more rest than when you were sleeping eight hours? And second, we wanna save your life. What if your bed could scan your body in the future and going to bed was more valuable than going to your doctor for an MRI? These are very, very complicated problems to solve. So the, the company was founded in 2014. At what point did you know, okay, this idea has legs? I mean, from what I recall reading, you guys had a, a soft launch event that was a pajama party. Was it there or was it, was it another moment? We didn't see the moment yet. Obviously, we made a lot of progress. We are, we are doing really well. But, you know, as an entrepreneur, you are always paranoid. And you never know that, you know, the, it's never enough. But not in from a financial standpoint, it's never enough in terms of safety for the business. Right? There is always more to be built. There is always more to be achieved. It's like an athlete, right? If you win uh, one uh, Grand Slam in tennis, you just want more. But I would say the real game changer for the company was when we launched in 2019 the current technology that can heat and cool your body because there is plenty of, again, clinical evidence that we can improve your sleep. And so you can think of us like almost a replacement for sleeping pills. 
where a replacement for drug companies. Instead of taking a pill, just use eight sleep and you will see 10% more deep sleep. And for people who are listening that may not be familiar with the eight sleep pod, I want to make sure if you could explain what the pod itself is, what the technology is, because some people in their mind, they might be thinking, well, I've got a memory foam mattress that is cooling, or I've got one of those things that's like pushes air through or, or whatever it is. And this is so much more than that. Yeah. If you're a customer and you have no bought uh, one of these foams with microgel and cooling properties, that that's all BS. So what, what we invented and created is a technology that you can install onto any bed and it will make it smart. Smart means that it tracks your health and based on your biometrics, it changes the temperature. Each side of the bed can have a different temperature. So if you sleep with a partner and you have different preferences, one could be hot and one could be cold. Temperature for each side can range between 55 degrees and 110 degrees. So it can be really cold or really hot, whatever you want in the middle. And uh, we have evidence that uh, we improve sleep around 30% for people before and after the pod. We will increase your deep sleep on average 10%. And if you are into the fitness space and you look at your HRV, 49% of our customers, they see a 10% improvement in HRV, which equals to be six years younger. All this is hard data that we have collected and clinically validated. So bottom line is a cover. You install it onto any mattress. It will improve your sleep performance and the sleep performance of your partner because everything is personalized. And this is a dumb question, but I think it's worth asking anyway. Why do we sleep? So sleep is uh, first a foundational piece of our health, right? And we call it actually sleep fitness because we think of sleep in the same way you think of a workout, right? So you need to put the time, you need to put the effort and sleeping is like a workout. And so it's something that will translate in a positive outcome for your health. There are two major phases that are really important in sleep. One is deep sleep and one is REM using very common terminology. Deep sleep is when your physical body is recovering, right? So your tissues, if you train really hard, if you're just tired. The REM phase is instead when you're dreaming and is when your brain is cleaning up the information from the day, processing that information and storing that information. So you need all these to make sure that you live a healthy life, right? There is plenty of um, clinical studies and medical evidence that sleep has an impact on your daily biometrics on uh, what you eat, because sometimes when you're sleep deprived, you, you tend to crave more carbs or junk food. And in general, it has a, an impact on uh, Parkinson, diabetes, and many other diseases that you might develop over time. And when it comes to sleep quality, I mean, what, what are the differences really between deep sleep versus REM sleep? Because I, I believe so one is really more, more so physical recovery, right? The other is, is based on like mental memory consolidation, those types of things. So yeah, oversimplified, like if we were talking to our grandma, right? There, there is the light sleep, there is the deep sleep and the REM. Then we, we could use the more medical terminology, but I find this to be more useful for people. And the most valuable are deep and REM. Deep, as you were saying, is more the physical recovery uh, and is usually more predominant in the first half of the night compared to the REM. While instead, REM is more predominant compared to deep sleep and is the more the mental recovery, which happens in the second part of the night. So essentially, your body wants to first recover physically and then recover mentally. And so your body temperature changes during the night. So when you hear people, for example, saying, oh, you should sleep at 68 degrees, that is BS and is wrong. 
meaning that 68 degrees could be right for one hour out of the eight hours that you sleep. During the rest of the time, you will need a different temperature. For example, deep sleep, you need a bed that is as cold as possible. While instead in REM, you need what is called thermal neutrality. So because your body, your brain, deactivates temperature control on the body while you are in REM, in REM you are substantially paralyzed because it's when you are dreaming. And so the body wants to make sure that you're not doing stuff while you are living the dream. And so it deactivates temperature control and it doesn't let you get into REM if it's too hot or too cold because potentially the body could die. And that is why you need this thermal neutrality that is not hot, not cold, it's just perfect. And so our device does all these changes for you and that is how we maximize deep sleep, we reduce toss and turns and sleep interruptions. Do we really need eight hours of sleep? So our approach to this is no, uh, we need it today, but uh, sleep can be more efficient. The point is we still sleep in the same way we used to sleep 2000 years ago. The only difference is we don't sleep on, on a stone and we just sleep on a piece of dumb phone. But at the end of the day, through technology, to different degrees, maybe it's 20 minutes more efficient, maybe it's two hours more efficient. Our goal is what if you could sleep only six hours and get more rest than when you were sleeping eight hours. We are already seeing part of this efficiency coming through our results because people fall asleep faster, they wake up less in the middle of the night, and they maximize some of the stages. Yeah, and, and a lot of professional athletes like LeBron James, I mean, they're spending a million dollars a year just in recovery alone and what is preparing them to be successful. And it's not just athletes, it's business leaders and, and beyond. Why is great sleep so important? The, the way I always tell people, there are a couple of things I always tell them. First, you should think of sleep like a workout or eating healthy, right? At the end of the day, the 80-20 of living a healthy life is Sleep eight hours a day, seven to nine, something in that range. Work out X times a week and try to have a healthy meals. One thing I always suggest to people to see if they are sleep deprived or they can get more out of, of their sleep is try to sleep one hour longer every day for a week. At the end of the week, you gain one night because you gain seven hours, right? And then you tell me how you feel. Sometimes people, they say, oh, I don't have time, oh, I have to work really hard and I, I don't have not the space to do that. But the mental benefit that you get in terms of freshness and sharpness by being at the peak of your mental performance because of sleep will let you gain way more time than one hour you invested in the sleep. And I guess on the converse of that, I'm curious, can you make up for sleep debt or are there kind of limitations around that? There is a limitation you can make up only within two days. So if you're sleep deprived, if today you sleep only four hours and you accumulate the four hours sleep debt, you have only two days to gain that back. So for those that are listening to this podcast, like any specific tips that you've just kind of seen over time just to improve sleep quality, whether it's things like white noise, blackout curtains, like what, what actually works? Yeah. So a couple of different things of the outside thermal regulation. So temperature is the big elephant in the room, as there is plenty of evidence. Let's outside temperature regulation. One thing that works really well is to do a shower before going to bed where you keep switching between hot and cold. And so I call it uh, almost thermal disruption. And so you do 30 seconds really hot, 30 seconds really cold, and you do it five, six times. Uh, if you were lucky enough and you're in an hotel with a sauna and a cold plunge, that is even 10x better, right? But this thermal shock will really help you to relax and then you will fall asleep 
pattern. Then uh, the blackout curtains. So it's really important that uh, on top of temperature, you're also sleeping in an environment that is really dark. Another thing that I do at home, uh, I have Philips U, and so all the lights start dimming down uh, starting 8 p.m. They switch to orange and then they dim down. So you want to get into this environment that is darker and darker before going to bed. The opposite in the morning, what everyone, every doctor suggests is to be exposed to sunlight for at least 10 minutes every morning. Because again, you have this biological clock inside your body. And so light is what drives most of that. And so getting sunlight early in the morning will wake you up and will give you energy and being exposed to a dark environment at night will help you to start slowing down. And what about, I mean, just because a lot of our listeners, they're business leaders, they're CEOs. What are the long-term consequences of, of poor sleep? Because it, it's interesting. I've seen this play out um, when you speak to people in the military. It's like sleep deprivation is literally a form of like torture. I mean, this is literally how people are, are compromised. And yet you find so many business leaders that are chronically sleep deprived. I think there is evidence that you would die sooner from sleep deprivation than from food deprivation, just to give you an idea. But in general, the impacts are pretty massive, right? So the first one is you are substantially mentally impaired if you wake up after two hours of sleep. So there is no way you can really focus on that. So at that point, what tends to happen is is unlikely that you want to work out, right? Because you're barely surviving. And so you don't have that energy. If you work out, you have a high risk of injury, at least over time. So you are more prone to any sort of injury. Then the other big thing that happens is you will start craving certain types of food, the junk food or carbs or similar foods that can give you almost a spike in terms of energy. And so you will be more prone to eat bad. Uh, it's extremely unlikely you will like that you will want a, a beautiful salad that morning because you're, there is a hormonal change that will let you crave different types of food. But in the long term, this will have an impact on your HR, HRV, risk for diabetes and risk for many other type of illnesses uh, that could be developed over time. So as, as you were kind of going through this journey of, of, of the idea for this company to really starting to build it, I imagine there was a, a fairly steep learning curve. Like, did you find that you yourself had to become obsessed and, and, and just learn so much about sleep? Or did you, were you able to just to bring in other people into the organization that had those you know, capabilities or had those insights? Both, meaning on one side, I'm lucky that I'm really passionate about the topic. I'm really passionate about you know, health and wellness and fitness and recovery. And so I'm the first customer of anything we do, and I'm the first one to give feedback. So I have fun, uh, and I'm, I really embody our customers, hopefully. Uh, on the other side, obviously, we, we have an advisory board with professors from Harvard, Stanford, UPenn, uh, Mount Sinai. And we also have an R&D team that has PhDs from MIT, comes from Stanford, and some of the best universities. Anyone that I know that has an eight sleep pod, myself included, is obsessed with it. They rave about it. I mean, I, I was mentioning to you that we had Matt Frazier on the podcast and he's telling me this is like the best thing in the world to the point where I think we even start to see people want to start traveling with them. Are, are there any plans to how to find ways to, to either make them more portable or, or work with athletes who are, or even entrepreneurs that are on the road a lot? Yeah, that is the biggest request because once 
it becomes so natural that once you get used to it, you literally don't want to travel or the biggest aha moment is the first time you travel and you go back to a dumb bed and you understand you start feeling hot and cold and temperature keeps changing during the night. And so we are now working with a couple of different hotels chains. We are already in uh, almost 100 rooms in the country. And the idea is to keep expanding to a point where wherever you fly or you go to, you can find a, a pod and then you can just automatically apply your settings. And even the approach to it, I'm curious because there, there's a lot of challenges to solve, both on the hardware side and software and beyond. There's obviously, I mean, there's old school water beds and then there's devices that is basically a fan hooked up to a bed. And we talked about kind of like those gels. Why, why hadn't anybody really approached it the way you're approaching it? I think there are two reasons. The first one um, is an extremely complicated problem to solve because there is the hardware challenge, right? And hardware is really, really hard and requires also a lot of money to start. Second, there is an ML and AI challenge because again, just a flat temperature wouldn't deliver the results that we want, but this temperature needs to adjust in real time based on the night and the different sleep stages. And so the technological part is pretty complicated. Then I think second is sleep in general has always been one of those industries that was massive, very fragmented with few players just eating out of the customers because they were selling products that were very simple, just basic commodity, a phone, and they were charging two, three X the price with very fat margins. And they live like that and there was no interest for them to iterate because they were building very large businesses in a simple way. And so sleep was just waiting to be disrupted. But the, the original players, they had no interest, right? They were already selling millions of mattresses. They had 60% gross margin. So why would they change something that is working or invest in R&D? What were some of those biggest challenges that you had when you, know, you were taking this from an idea to reality? I mean, I recall reading early on, you guys sold 8,000 units and pre-orders, and then you had to obviously figure out the manufacturing of that. What have been some of those challenges? Yeah, many, and we could, we could stay here talking to each other for, for a week. But <laughs> if we pick the biggest, um, the biggest was definitely we sold 8,000 units in pre-orders originally, and then we had to build them. Uh, none of us uh, had experience in manufacturing. So there's actually a funny story there. So manufacturing was not happening in China. So I go to my wife, who is also a co-founder, and I say, oh, I have to go to China to, to help fix manufacturing. And she says, oh, cool, when are you going to go? And I say, oh, tomorrow. And she says, oh, well, you're flying to China tomorrow. And I say, yeah. And she says, oh, cool, okay, when are you coming back? And I say, once I fix manufacturing. And so the bottom line is I came back like a couple of months later, but then the people we found at the time are still the same people that work for us today in China. So at least it was worth. I'm curious in, in that type of situation, let's say you go to China, if you wouldn't mind elaborating, you get there, how do you even know what the problem is or even how to solve it? Our first uh, institutional investor was Chinese and invested after Y Combinator. And so he, they opened up their own contacts. And so they introduced us to contractors. We originally um, hired a contractor. And then I just started meeting people uh, that could be potentially interested to join us. But it was painful and it took time. And I know you mentioned your wife is a co-founder. I also started our business with, uh, with my wife. Um, what's that journey been like? Have you two always been aligned or have, have there been challenges along the way? 
I mean, she's great. And so she, if it, this works, it's because of her. She's way, I would say, more adaptable than I am. And while we, we were able to create almost two different words, and so sometimes I'm uh, yelling on Slack saying we need to get this done faster or this is not good enough. And uh, in the meanwhile, I'm writing her on WhatsApp about what do you want to have for dinner? But we are really good at compare, create different buckets of our life. And so sometimes we are even in video calls with the team and she's in the other room, I'm here, but we don't even join those calls in person, right? So we really try to act like if we were colleagues. Another funny story here is sometimes we are, I don't know, on the couch, it's 9.30 or 10 p.m. And so when I could work all the time, right? Or I could talk about work all the time. And so she said, no, stop it. You need to treat me like a colleague. And so it's not that you just call a colleague at 10 p.m. to talk about work. Give me a break. And I say, fine, but I can still slack a colleague, right, at 10 p.m. And so sometimes we are on the couch and I cannot talk about work, but I can still slack her with some ideas I have about work and I can I can hear the phone vibrating on the couch <laughs> and that is me. But So we have these kind of rules that might look funny, but at the end of the day, they help mentally to create a real division. And when it comes to the, you know, the culture of eight sleep, how would you describe that, like the team itself? Uh, we are a sport team playing the playoffs. We value a lot clarity of thinking. Uh, we move really fast and we want to get more things done with less. So we have this concept of operational efficiency or managerial leverage where I'm not the type of CEO who would be not just go around and, and talk about, oh, we have all this number of employees. I prefer to have a high number of, you know, in terms of revenue and a lower number of employees than the opposite. And I'm sure you've read like the Netflix book, the No Rules Rules, where they really talk about the fact that the best, you know, it can be 10 times better than the average. What, what are your thoughts on that? We learn a lot from the book. What I think is I'm obsessed with asking my executives uh, who are their best people. And I want to give the best opportunity to these people because these people can be not the founders of tomorrow. And so they deserve to grow as fast as possible within the organization. And that is in their interest and in the interest of the enterprise. And so creating fast tracks for our top performers is a must. And at the same time, we need to keep you know, giving them feedback uh, and they need to be aware of the fact that if we are happy or unhappy with the performance and if for any reason we are not happy, how they can improve it. And I've seen you you post on this. Uh, I'm following you on, on Twitter where it's really this mindset against complacency, against mediocrity. I, I saw you post a quote. Uh, I think like Steve Jobs had just two classifications, insanely great or total shit, right? There's like no middle ground. Is this kind of your approach in, internally in the organization as well of really kind of chasing high performance? Yeah, because I used to be an athlete, right? And so I'm a, a no excuse guy and is, is great or shit. You try to simplify at the end of the day, right? Then it's not that it's always binary, but at the end of the day, you want to cut to the chase. And so even when I ask you know, executives to report if we are on track or not for a certain goal, at the beginning, I was giving them the green, the red, and the yellow. But now I just give them green and red because otherwise it was always yellow. Yeah, we are substantially on track, but... I don't care. Do you have more confidence? Do you have 80% confidence we're going to hit it? Or you have less than 80% confidence? And so it's green or red. Because at the end of the day, your job as a leader, most of the times is to just simplify. 
And so sometimes from outside, people can just read this stuff from Steve Jobs or the other and just consider that extreme. But at the end of the day, if you forget the word cheat or not, it's just simplifying. Is it good or bad? There is nothing else. This type of like hard charging, high performance environments, I think it's what's made companies very successful and innovative in the past, but can be frowned upon, I think, kind of in the, in the public realm, if you will. Do you run into any of that internally? When you hire someone for a, for a startup, it's like finding friends. You cannot be friends with everyone, right? You find people you click with because you have the same values, you have the same attitude, you have the same drive, or you have the same passion. So that is step number one. And we made that mistake in the past, right? Where you try to fit people in. And you want people that are different. Let's be very clear, right? And you want people with different opinions. You want people that disagree, all, all that, 100%. But at the same time, so it's like, you know, when you have a friend, there are certain common values and traits that help you relate to each other. That is step number one. Then the second is, when we talk about being like almost an athlete, we have a definition of a value that uh, is, uh, we are everyday athletes. And so being an athlete, sometimes people, they just think, oh, it means working super hard 24 seven all the time. It's not true because athletes, they take care of their recovery a lot, right? It's not that they train 18 hours a day, just not going to the gym over and over because they would just get injured. And so we have this definition of everyday athletes where everyone needs to be self-aware and understand when they are burning out or if they need a break or if they need to breathe and the organization will immediately support them. And so it's more about self-awareness. We don't want to burn out people and we're pretty obsessed with helping them to maximize their potential without burning out. And when it comes to decision-making, I've heard you before describe like a framework that you use to make decisions, if, if you could elaborate on that. The first one and the biggest is substantially you, you create four quadrants and on one line you have your expertise and on the other line, the vertical line, you tend to have how risky or dangerous could be for the company, right? So let's say it's something that could kill the company and I understand really well. At that point, that decision should very likely be on me. Obviously, the team would be involved as a sounding board, but I, I need to be very close to the decision. On the opposite side, if it's a decision that doesn't have a major impact on the company, and by the way, I don't even understand anything about that, there are probably people that are way more qualified in the business to take that decision. So there are people that we might want to grow and we want to empower. And so then obviously in the middle, there are all the different variants. Then another way you look at decisions is always effort versus impact. Right, there are a lot of things that could be valuable for the company, but maybe the the impact is not big enough compared to the engineering effort. And the consequence of the first one is that when people ask you if you micromanage or actually you're hands off, the answer is both. Meaning the, the thing I disagree with is you don't manage it just one way but based on the potential impact or risk of the decision and your knowledge in the space, you decide if you want to delegate more or less. And you can also adjust based on the seniority of the person. If it's someone very junior, maybe you tend to be closer to them. Well, instead, if it's an executive who has the same knowledge of yours, then you can delegate more. So you need to have this ability to continuously adjust based on the circumstances and the person you work with. Got it. Yeah. So basically, if it's a decision where it's low impact, you know, not an area we have a lot of knowledge, you would delegate that, right? Correct. 
Got it. What, what about um, the regret minimization framework? Yeah, that is the other big thing that works for me. So uh, you fast, it comes from Jeff Bezos. You fast forward to when you're 100 years old, you look back and you try to say, look, did I spend my life on something that was meaningful? And I think this is the biggest advantage for 8sleep to recruit a lot of great talents, right? We are seeing a lot of great talents that they're selling ads at some of the fun companies. And they realize, sometimes you see it with actors, right? You see actors that in the early part of their career, they take a a very light comedy role. And then over time, as they become more famous, they want roles that are more meaningful. The same thing happens in in a tech career, where sometimes they just join now really fast-growing companies, but they sell ads or they do something that now is more in that kind of marketing space. And over time, they want to shift towards having a meaning for the world. And that is what 8sleep does by helping people living a healthier life. And so when I look back at 8sleep, I don't think there is much more that I would like to do that could be more meaningful. Uh, The key is, okay, how how do we really impact millions of people to live a healthier life? My previous companies were in climate change because they were in solar. So I touched that part and I'm proud of that. But now nothing is more important than, than health for me. Today, you've got this unbelievable lineup of endorsements and partnerships with some of the most renowned athletes and brands on the planet, like most recent being the Mercedes F1 team with Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. And as a motorsports enthusiast, I imagine this was a special moment for you when when that deal got locked in. What was that experience like and how'd you make that happen? We were a bit lucky and then we work hard, but honestly, they reach out uh, the first time randomly. And obviously, I have always been a Formula One fan. I I was watching Formula One with my dad since when I was really a kid, right? We were waking up. I was living in Italy sometimes at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. because they were racing in Australia. So we were that kind of fan. So I have a lot of personal great memories connected to F1, and I'm a huge fan. And it was before Austin last year, the, the GP in Austin. And I was actually going there because my best friend bought me a ticket as a as a birthday gift and they say look um if you're coming to austin let us know we would like to meet and i say oh actually i'm gonna be there and so we met the conversation started and then we were able to find a deal that um, was reasonable for a startup of our size that we could afford and yeah in miami this weekend we will be on the mercedes f1 of uh, Lewis hamilton and george russell have you gotten any feedback from them, whether it's Lewis or, or, or George? Are they like sleeping on these pods? And like, have, have you gotten any, any feedback on what their experience has been? Yeah, I mean, we are receiving feedback from, from them. We're providing all the top leaders in the Mercedes F1 team with the product. Uh, there are other Formula One drivers that are reaching out because they wanted to. And then we have players in the top 10 in tennis uh, using the product, people in NFL, people in NBA, the CrossFit champion, and uh, people in snowboarding. At the end of the day, the way I always say is something like we are a Red Bull, but instead than drinking something, we just give you the same energy through sleep. And that is why athletes, they want it. They, they need to recover and they need energy to perform. And if you can do the job for them, why wouldn't they use your product? And who would you say is really kind of the, the market for this, you know, for this product? I would say our top performers and health conscious people. Top performers are people that want an edge, right? And so it could be the the CEO, the investment banker, the lawyer, but 
is also health conscious people. It could be the mom, it could be the doctor, it could be anyone who wants to take care of their health. They want to wake up refreshed to have the energy to accomplish what they want in their professional life, but also in their personal life with their loved ones. Because the beauty of our product is you don't have to wear anything. You don't have to charge anything. It just magically happens behind the scene and you wake up with 10% more deep sleep. Looking ahead, what, what does the future of eight sleep look like? More products. So we are working on a lot of new products, um, international expansion. Now we are already in Canada, UK and Europe. We are opening Australia. But at the end of the day, we need to stay focused on, again, improving your sleep and saving your life. So we want to maximize your sleep performance and introduce new sensors that can detect the potential illnesses uh, to help you live a longer and healthier life. And it's fascinating. So, you know, there's some products I think people like and they enjoy, but then you, you find that there's others that people are obsessed with, right? Like, you know, anybody owns a Tesla, they're obsessed with the Tesla. It's the same thing with Mac users. And I, I know it's the same thing with 8Sleep. Why do you think that is? Hopefully because we deliver value, right? And you can't achieve that with, without surprising users. And then I think hopefully they realize that, no, this is still a company made by humans. And so that is why I try to be active on Twitter. It's not because I want to be the fancy, cool guy on Twitter. It's just I want to try to give a face, in good or in bad, to the company. That is why we reply to every tweet that we see, also when it's negative. It could be me or some of no, our team members. But at the end of the day, I think in 2020, people want to associate faces to brands and know who is behind that. And hopefully that helps to then gain their trust and scale the business. And it seems like you're also iterating very quickly. I, I think I remember seeing something where even the way in which like the, so the AI and kind of like the autopilot, when it would display the suggestion, like by updating like that UI, right? That drove like a much higher rate of compliance. Like even just like little things like that. Is that kind of like ingrained in the, in the culture of the organization? Yeah, we are very data driven and I'm obsessed with velocity, right? At the end of the day, the, the only incredible thing you have as a startup compared to a large organization is the speed at which you can move. Because you have less money, you have less people, you have less knowledge, you have less brand awareness. So by default, they're gonna beat you. But the only way you can win is because you're moving so fast that by the time they realize what you nailed, you're already building the three, your three things ahead. And that needs to just be the culture of, and is the culture of any successful startup. So velocity is at the is foundational for everything we do. Even still, just with the growth come all sorts of complexities, all sorts of different challenges. I imagine a lot of stress, a lot of problems. What are some of the habits, let's say, that you practice that keep you engaged and, and really operating in the, in the in the right type of state to be able to continue to lead? It's challenging, right? Like like and everything you do, right? There are different levels of stress based on you know, what's happening in the company with the growth, with the expansion, fundraising. But at the end of the day, the key is sleeping. So I sleep a lot. I work out almost every day. That is extremely important for me. Um, and then I try to eat healthy. So I'm a sort of biohacker, so I'm a bit extreme. I fast all day. I usually have only dinner. I'm on a keto diet. I measure my glucose. I use any wearable you can think of to look at the data and I have historicals. But at the end of the day, oversimplified the best way, again, is sleep, workout, eat well. And that is 95% of all that you you can do. And then hopefully you, you also have a stable environment at home and having a, you know, a, a 
great partner, like in my case, obviously it gives you a lot of stability when maybe the business is, uh, is, is shaken. And I'll tell you, as we come to a close, this being the, the Game Changing Attorney podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? Um, game changer is the disruption, right? So anything that you can do to break the status quo, and that can happen in sleep, but it can happen also in everyday your everyday life. So one thing I try to do every week, for example, is, okay, what is going to be a game changer for this week? What can I change that can have a 10x output this week or in the coming month? I want to give a huge thank you to Matteo Franceschetti for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated with me was when Matteo said that mediocrity is the silent killer in any organization. Your role as a leader is to define and continuously reinforce the standard of excellence that you expect your team to operate at. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a review and share this podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Matteo Franceschetti, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. Game Changing Attorney.